Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. (laughs) Pulse. Written by Daniel Wilcox. Narrated by Ian McEwan. We were right about one thing, at least. I remember thinking that from the moment we shut the door behind us, jingled the keys and set out on the road. A car full to the brim of luggage, hopes, love. Two children cramped in the back. That funny little thought that now seems magnified tenfold. This is going to be our last vacay for a while. What songs would you like to play? I had said to Dimitri and Dana, hand already reaching for the Party Pop Classics CD we'd bought specifically for the occasion. Haley, my wife of nearly 20 years, rolling her eyes in the seat beside me. The kids laughed, called for the jams at the same time, then spent the next two hours punishing their lungs and throats as they sang at the top of their voices, and the CD looped on repeat. Before long, the housing estate blurred to rolling countryside as we set out to Dover. 
It seems so funny remembering that now. It had been several hours since we had all stopped screaming, switched off the radio, and drove in silence. Just ten hours ago, our trip seemed a simple one. Something recommended to us from our neighbors two houses over, a cheap alternative to a Thompson mega deal in the Canaries. Just drive, Clint. That's all you really need to do. Pack the car, foot to the pedal, and you'll save yourself a shit ton in travel fees. The kids will love it. Plus, you won't have to worry about renting a car when you get to wherever you're going. I'd recommend Lise, just outside of Paris. Though, he'd pronounce Paris as Paris in a laughable attempt at a French accent. Beautiful there. Quaint, quiet, not too far out that you can't see the sights, the Eiffel, blah, blah, blah. But I guarantee a motel and the parking will hit you up for about the price of a tank of petrol. That night, after some basic math under the flickering glow of the bedside lamp, I'd managed to budget the trip. Haley wasn't all too keen to begin with, though she was always the stickler with the figures. And after some verbal and physical persuasion, I somehow managed to make it work. We were hard up with cash for most of the months of the year, but we figured we'd earned this. We'd earned this. Dimitri sniffled in the back seat. I cast my eyes to the rear view, just able to make out the top of his head above the big red suitcase. Eyes puffy and pink. I turned back to the front. The roads ahead were empty of life, at least from what we could see anyway. The clouds were still dark and rolling overhead like colossal jellyfish in a barrel of water. The wind had died somewhat as we spent the last few hours driving, continuing on past the crooked signs that read Paris, foot stuck on the accelerator with little idea of any alternative to our plan. I suppose we were just all shocked and driving for the sake of it. Keep on driving until some of this shit makes sense, I mumbled from dry lips. Just keep on driving. I stretch my fingers and adjust my grip, feeling the mud beneath my fingertips. A constant reminder of what had happened back there at the tunnel, when it had all changed. I hadn't had the heart to wake the kids when we reached the Dover to Calais crossing. We were going underground anyway. How special could a giant tube of soil and darkness be to an eight and ten year old? We flashed our tickets, loaded the train, sat, and waited. Thirty-five minutes. That's all it takes to cross from one country to another beneath the seabed. Did you know that? Thirty-five minutes. That's all. Oh, the difference thirty-five minutes could make. We were nearing the end of the journey through the darkness when we felt it. The rumble was the first signifier of change. A violent shake of the floor that could no way have been mistaken for the train cars rocking, followed quickly by the thunderous sound of a boom. 
Shockwaves pulsing through the tunnel, slowing the train to walking pace for a moment as it fought to push ahead like a bird trapped in a strong gust of wind. Those who had left their cars had been knocked to the floor. There was a light near the end of the tunnel. I remember that clearly. I couldn't help but think that it must have been some kind of sign, for immediately after, the ceiling began to crash above us, taking down everything from twenty feet behind. Rubble. Dust. Rock. Debris. How we managed to escape is beyond me. I don't remember blinking as we forced our way out of the train car, exited the tunnel, and emerged onto the bridge. At a speed I was sure was illegal, we fled, the rubble and destruction following us. Eyes glued to the road in front, weaving the burning remains of cars, occasionally feeling the weight of some man or woman as they ran in circles, clothes on fire, screaming for help. At least, I assumed that's what they were screaming. It was hard to hear them above my own. Haley croaks, unable to make the words form. They sound alien. A strange relief to the numbing crackle of static from the car radio. I slow down and pull to the side of the road. It's empty, bar a small shack some ways in the distance. Fields on either side, shadowed and browning under the terrifying cover of cloud. There's a moment when I feel that Haley is going to give up on speaking, to bury the words and hide them again until her mind has a chance to process them. Then she explodes. What the hell is going on? Her hands dart to her face. Tears rack her body. I say nothing for some time, smothering her in my arms to let her have her release. It's okay. I need mine too. Tiny arms stretch around the car seat until we're all one blubbering mass, Dimitri and Dana now feeling so small in my arms, none of our heads able to decipher what the fuck happened back there, or what the hell was happening now. Daddy, look, Dimitri says at last, pulling his grip from us. Some hundred or so yards, there's a man standing in the middle of the road, Thumb out, a bag resting on the floor by his side. Does he need help? I lean forward, eyes squinting, then open the car door, immediately feeling the raw heat spilling from the heavens. Excuse me, sir? I call out through cupped hands. Are you okay? Laughable, really. None of us are. The man doesn't move. His face is shadowed and dark. Sir? Clint, get back in the car now, Haley hisses. Honey, what if he's in trouble? What if he's just like us? Haley's eyes are brimming with tears. The water sparkles, bringing out the greens of her eyes. I have a bad feeling. 
there's nowhere for him to sit, Dimitri calls from the back. There's a slight hesitation in my mind where I wonder if Dana is okay. Though I felt her arms in our family embrace, she has yet to utter a word since the tunnels collapse. Exactly. Come on. Haley leans across and tugs me back in the car. I clip my belt back on, look ahead, and... Haley's screams fill my head with fog. The sound is shrill, all-consuming, and as I look ahead, I can see why. The man is now standing feet from the bonnet of the car. His face is a haunted mass of scars, wrinkles, and patchy stubble. Where his pupils and irises should have been, there only glowed back the white mass of the eyeball, looking like two knuckles of bone embedded in his skull. Teeth were missing from his mouth, and there was a nasty gash at the side of his cheek that was oozing a paste composed of blood and pus. But that wasn't the real reason for Haley's scream, nor was it the reason my own breath had stopped and my mouth had gone dry. That was the work of the young girl wriggling and kicking beneath the man's grasp, her hair tight in his fist, unable to scream, since her mouth had been completely erased from her face, as though her skin was wax and someone had simply melted it shut. A smile creeps onto the man's face. Hey, hey! Let her go! Leave her alone! I scream from the supposed safety of the inside of the car. That warm bubble of protection in which I now hide behind, terrified to open the door and confront him. Feelings of guilt and shame mixed in my gut as Dana thrashes from his confines. Small chunks of hair already pulling out of her head as crimson leaks into her blonde locks. Clint, do something! Oh, how I want to, but any idea of how is gone. My mind has turned to fog. The heavens broil and undulate angrily, the clouds a dark shade of grey, flashing as lightning begins to weave its power through the skies. The wind kicks up, and it's then that the thought finally strikes me. Was he responsible for all of this? A simple man with a dark purpose, treading the dusty roads to extinguish life itself? I think back to the moment Haley submitted to my idea of a vacation, the look of feigned resignation on her face, enough to make my heart double its pace. The brimming smiles on the kids' faces as we told them the news over breakfast and showed them pictures of Paris, or rather, Paris. The wailing to songs in the car, the warmth in my heart as I looked into their sleeping faces and we entered the channel tunnel. The moments before and after the pulse struck and the tunnel began to collapse, when heads exploded under rock and fear acted as our guide. Never before had I seen so much destruction and blood so fast. Never before had I felt like 
I'd entered some fucked up nightmare more than the moment we left the burning cars and corpses behind, feeling as though we'd somehow entered the apocalypse, a land unlike the one I'd always known, where the grass was brown and dead, and the idea of sunshine faded as quickly as my hopes that Dana would have many more breaths to draw. It all hit me then, in that moment, a burning rage that made the corners of my vision turn pink, an unshakable hatred for myself for suggesting the trip, knowing that the pennies we scraped together could have been better spent on, oh, I don't know, clothes, food, saving for the goddamn house that we so desperately needed, a fury for the man in front and that wry smile on his smug face. Without a glance back, I open my door and step outside. I notice that the floor feels warm, much warmer than it should. The air is thick, almost choking. The man's eyes follow my own as I speed around the car and dive for him, fists clenched so tight I feel my nails draw blood. I fly through the air, waiting for that satisfying moment in which my fists make contact with his face wanting nothing more than to crunch bone and spill blood to ensure that my little girl is safe and away from whoever this monster is. But it doesn't come. None of it does. A moment later, I feel myself land with a thud against the dusty floor. The air is knocked from my lungs. I look for where the man had been just moments ago, meeting nothing at all, just the ground. Until I look back at Haley in the car and see Dimitri and Dana smiling in the back, the satisfied stare of the mystery man in the driver's seat, cackling a sound that reminds me of a car exhaust backfiring as he floors the accelerator and drives off into the distance. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. Pulse was written by Daniel Wilcox, narrated by Ian McEwen, edited by Carl Hughes and music by Velitai and Sam Robson. Hey, you, listener, you lovely, lovely person, you. Do you use Twitter? Facebook? What about Instagram? You do? Good. Great. You're a being of the world, a futuristic go-getter, and we want to hear from you. What's been your favourite story? Who's your favourite narrator? Which theme just did it for you? Well, use the hashtag, the other stories, all one word, and let us know what you think. Or you can always go to iTunes, drop us a quick review, and leave us a message that way. Either way, we would love to hear your thoughts. Until next time.